You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. We started this process a number of months ago. And I've been trying to get my, I knew that the, something was going on and it was interconnected and I just had to have this, this sense of, Lord, I got, I got to figure this thing out. And that's when we got into a lot of the culture stuff going on with all the ideologies. And uh, what we decided to do was just take those culture ideologies, take a look at them, see what they really were, and then uh, put them through this biblical lens and see how they matched up. And what we found out is they didn't. A lot of them in the Greek now, there's always truth somewhere, but that's what the enemy will do. He'll take a, an ocean of truth and he'll start putting just a thimble full of lies in it. But overall, when we finished the day, we said, this is true. And a whole lot of what this culture is buying into is just not true. But unfortunately, they're buying a hook, line, sinker. And so that's one of the reasons we did the series. Uh, It it left us in a strange place because it's going on, obviously, and we can see it happening. But it left us in this place of asking this question. So what's the implication for us now? Where do we go from here? We can have an influence on the world in certain regards, and hopefully we do. But where do we go? And where we ended up was we go to the one place that God assigned us that we can have an effect on right now, and that is the home. That with everything happening in society, it's more important now for the home to gather, understand its mission and purpose, and what truth is, because now you're imparting truth to a next generation, and you're preparing them to stand in this world where there's so much misalignment in this regard. So how do you do that? And that kind of led us into this series. And so uh, we have a wonderful friend of the church who's been helping us walk through with, and this is Dr. Schultz, Dr. Glenn Schultz. And so I'm gonna ask him to come and join me this morning. And would you give him a hand? I'm told you've been a tremendous uh, help in this regard. So thank you, thank you so very much. Uh, while he's getting setting, set, let me just say a word, Dr. Schultz, to the single uh, moms or dads. We, we use this as a kind of a building block that God established the home and established it and needs to be built off of scripture, off of Jesus. Then mom and dad need to come into the picture and the child has its place. And all this is a biblical order to this. But there's some folks that uh, for whatever reason, they've ended up and they found that either the the wife or the husband is taken out, or the dad is taken out of the equation. And so, what do you do in a circumstance like that? Well, I'm going to ask Dr. Stewart, who's head of the school, to come up and uh, give us a hand, and he's going to be a part of this panel as well. Will you give him a hand? Now, if the, hus- if the husband or wife is gone, out of the picture, all right, let's do it. Go ahead and do it. Move, move that one. All right. <clears throat> so you have a single parent doing this thing, building on the foundation. What kind of solutions have we got, Dr. Stewart? One is parent with you. I join in <laughs> yeah. with you. Come to the school. Job security. Come <laughs> to the school. Uh, yeah, honestly, it's a place where we can stand mm. in the gap as a church, as a school, as, as friends and family and neighbors for that single mom and that single mm-hmm. dad and come alongside God is the father to the fatherless and, and the mother to the motherless, mm-hmm. the same thing. But for, for a church, for us to come together and stand that gap, uh, 
It's, it's one of those things that we probably take for granted at times, mm -hmm. but it's one of our most easiest jobs to do as a church is to stand in the gap and work with families that need us. Yep. In fact, there's a stand right behind you. It's a three-legged stand right straight in front of you. Or to your left. There you go. Early in the beginning, I learned from this gentleman here years ago that the best way that you're going to be able to stand is to have a three-legged stand. One represents the parents, one represents the school, and one represents the church. So if you hold this up, Pat, at the top one, let me slide this under, you put it in between both of these. Because not only the school, it's the church. So we stand together as a family, as a, as a school, as a church. And the Lord gave me the vision when we started the school of, of a fire extinguisher with stuff coming out so fast until kids weren't having, they wouldn't have time to grow. It was just overwhelming them. And it was coming and, and the Lord just showed me a piece of plywood where the parent had one corner, the church had the other corner, the school had the other corner, and we were standing in front of that fire hydrant against culture and raising our kids in a way until they could be raised to understand, hey, what God had for them. So come on over, Doc, and just join us. All right, Dr. Schultz. Talk you know, when, it, when you think of where we've been and how we got here, uh, I think it's important for you as the congregation to understand how important the role of the pastor is. Uh, Mike's not going to say this, but I will. I, I am very thankful that Pastor Mike is doing what God expects out of pastoral leadership. Uh, there's a verse in uh, Jeremiah 3.15 where God says that he wants to give his people, you and me, shepherds, leaders, pastors who have a heart like his and when a pastor is that way, here's what he does. He goes and feeds the flock with knowledge and understanding. And the reason why we started this series a couple months ago was the fact that as pastor of the church, he saw these false ideologies coming in and devouring the sheep and starting to creep in the home and creep into churches. Uh, I get to travel a lot, and I've been sharing what we have been talking about, some of the topics, you know, like intersectionality and, and wokeness and things like this. And people say, you, you do that in church? I said, yes, we've got a pastor who is committed to feeding the flock with knowledge and understanding. And, and as we came through this and really started focusing on the home, building the home while we're in Babylonian captivity of the culture, uh, we had a Sunday where there was sort of a Joshua challenge. And, and we, we gave the challenge that we, Joshua gave to the nation of Israel where he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, and I'll never forget that Sunday as we closed the service, Pastor Mike got up and asked how many parents were going to accept that challenge. And I can remember how full the front was of parents lining up in the aisles saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But then all of a sudden, the rubber hits the road. <laughs> and we have to say, how do we do that? And we started asking questions and say, send in your problems, your situations. And 
It's going to take a while to do those, to answer those and have the support. But we realize it's one thing making a commitment. It's another thing knowing how to put it in place. And so what we're going to start with today as the three of us try and share what God has taught us, here's the reality. You are a parent. If you have children, you are a parent. God saw fit to bring children into your home. And Mike, they've got to understand that. Yeah, and I don't know how many times this happened through the process uh, of this, this series, but I know at least two or three times where we asked the question, are we done? Are we finished up with what God's saying at this point? And then we, we would say, no, and we, we, we've got to come back at this. And I remember feeling the Lord saying, you've got to slow this down because just like you're saying, Doc, they, we've got to get this. We've got to slow it down. This is not a presentation. This, this is an equipping process to say, we want to help us in this society to understand how to be godly men and women and how to raise godly kids. So yes, that parent authority is real. You have the authority of a parent. And sometimes you may not feel like it. Sometimes they may think that the culture is overrunning, that there's more authority out there than in the home. But the reality is the parent is still God's authority to go and manage the home. Absolutely. I totally agree. Pat, what do you, what do you see over at school, Pat? Well, I, I would say, you know, before I had children, I read Dr. Schultz's book and I re read the very first principle, which is parents are responsible for the education of their kids. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> we don't even have kids yet. I don't even know what that means, but the reality is we have got to make sure that we're intentional about what we're gonna do. So before we even had children, my wife and I were talking about what are these things we want to do with our children? In the school, it's the same thing. I probably have this conversation with more and more parents. What do I do with my child who is whatever? I was like, come up with a plan, Stick to the plan, be intentional, but that plan has to be aligned with God's word. And I think that's one of the areas where God's given us authority as parents. He's going to equip us with how, how to do that. Yeah, that's, that's the other point. You can be equipped. And one of the things that I know being in some of the staff meetings and talking about it, the church is wrestling with, okay, what do we do as a church to come behind parents and support them and build them? And Probably a lot will be rolling out in next calendar year, but, but we have to deal with some things here. The first thing I think we need to understand is what really is the goal of parenting? And, and of course, if you go to the Great Commission, we know that Jesus said uh, to the whole church, and it would definitely apply to the home, you are to make disciples of the next generation. You're supposed to make disciples of all nations, so of course we've got to do it in our homes. I think Paul, in, in his letter to the Colossian Christians, sort of summed it up in Colossians 1.28, and, and he sort of defined all of his, uh, if you think of him as a parent to all these new churches that we're starting. He, he said, everything I do, <laughs> I, whether I proclaim him, I admonish people, I teach people with all wisdom. I, I do it for only one purpose, to present them perfect in Christ Jesus. And, and if you want to know the goal that God has for you as a parent, he wants you to do everything you possibly can 
to bring your children into maturity in Christ. That's what it is to be a disciple. And that's what we're all about. And that's why you've got to exercise your authority. But I, w I would, my, my guess, Dr. Schultz, would be that the average parent sitting out there think, I'm not a theologian. I'll bring them to church a little bit. And so they will take care of the Christian part. You know, I'm, as a parent, I'm not to disciple them in Christian stuff. Well, you know, that's not understanding scripture. That's what we do is we break our worldview up into the secular and sacred and say, oh, I'm just going to do this part and I'll let other people do that. But, but God doesn't do that. He wants to reign over everything. He wants to be Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And so that means we have to do it as parents. We, Psalm 127.3, children are heritage of the Lord, which really means children are God's homework assignment to parents. And, and, and God gave Glenn and Sharon Schultz three homework assignments. He didn't give them to the church to complete or to the school or to the state or to the village. He gave it to two parents and we're responsible. So there, there is a spiritual anointing position given parents to lead their kids in spiritual things. Yes, and, and I, I want you folks to know something. <laughs> this is the hardest topic for anybody to preach and teach on. Because guess what? We've messed up as parents. <laughs> Uh, no one has had it perfect. And so you almost feel like I don't really should talk about this until my children are raised and gone. And then I'd be gone. So I wouldn't have to talk about this. But, but it's very difficult because we don't want you to get the impression that we've not made any mistakes. No, we have. But we've learned from them, hopefully. And that's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, there's a way that your parenting can be biblical and helpful but there's a way it can go south. Uh, yes. Uh, when you're exercising authority, young people have a lot of frustrations. Uh, I'll never forget, uh, I was teaching 100 seniors at our Christian school in Lynchburg, and uh, we were covering all these principles uh, on uh, how to make right decisions. And, and everything was going smoothly until one day I announced the principles we were going to study, and it was submission and obedience. And these kids turned me off. I, I mean, they mumbled, they grumbled, some put their heads down and slept. And I was superintendent of schools, and they still did it. And when I asked one of my fellow teachers in the back after the class, I said, what was the problem? They said, oh, they were saying, obey, obey, obey. That's all we're ever told, obey. Well, they've got to understand obedience and submission. So, so I went and I pulled them back together the next day and I said, take out a sheet of paper and here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down every frustration you've ever had with anybody in authority over you. And they wrote for an hour. I told them they could not put names on there because I didn't want my names in lights. <laughs> then I read all of them and I found that they fell into five categories. And these are things that these students taught me that said, when my authority does this, it's frustrating. The first one was, do as I say, I'm the boss. You're just gonna do it because I said so, and I'm authority, and you're gonna have to do it. Now, there's times you have to do that, but this is all the time. That's very frustrating to them. You've probably faced that in the school business. 
yeah, yes, you know, you, you just can't come at people and just demand and dictate to them. The other one was double standards. Do as I say, not as I do. Again, some students taught me that because I was coaching uh, when I first went into teaching in a public school up in New York, and I had some very stringent rules for my players, no alcohol, no tobacco, and they even had to get their hair cut. And uh, one day, one night, a few of the players and the cheerleaders ended up at my house, and they came in and they started talking, and we didn't know what they were talking about. And, and one or two of them would go use the restroom and come back, and then pretty soon they were gone. I didn't know what was going on. And the next day, the team was allowed, to, the captains were allowed to have a team meeting without me. And they called one, but then they had to come in and tell me what they discussed. And when they came back in, they said, Coach, we've decided as a team, we're going to abide by your rules. And I said, well, that's nice. I didn't think you had the option, but <laughs> thank you. And they, I said, well, why are you going to abide by my rules? They said, well, when we were at your house last night, we said we were going to use the restroom. We didn't. Uh, Coach, you, you don't have alcohol in your refrigerator. You, you don't have stuff in your cupboards. They had gone through my house. Now, they ran a lot in that practice, but they said, we are so tired of people telling us what to do, and they do just the opposite. Double standards will destroy our authority. Then there's favoritism. Now, there's a difference between favoritism and maturity. And I, I had to teach the students that because a senior who took a cookie when mom said don't eat a cookie before dinner and a five-year-old who did the same thing, the five-year-old may get a spanking, but the senior didn't feel that he or she should get a spanking. See, so there was different spiritual maturity and, and development. So. That wasn't necessarily favoritism, but when we show favoritism, that's when it destroys our authority. Another one was judgmental. And, and what the students were saying is, when, when my authority judges my character, I'm offended. See, we're supposed to judge acts, not character, because we don't understand a person's heart. We don't go and tell a mom or a dad at school, uh, you got to come in and meet because your son or daughter's a, you know, a, a liar because you're judging character. No, they need to come in because your son or daughter did something called a lie, which is going to hurt them in the future. We got to deal with that act. And, and they said judgmentalism just destroys. And the last one was probably the most impacting for me, especially as a dad and a husband not listening. Now, now men, I want, I want to zero in on us because I think we get accused of that a lot. Uh, my wife can go and, uh, you know, Bounce be talking to, to me. <laughs> my wife can be talking to me. I can hear every word she says. In fact, I can repeat them back. But then she'll walk out of the room in the middle of a sentence. I'll say, Honey, why, why'd you leave? She says, well, you weren't listening to me. So I repeat all the words back to her to show what a great husband I was. And she says, but you weren't looking at me. <laughs> See, we have to, as parents, if we want to have good authority with our kids, 
We've got to listen with our eyes because then you stop what you're doing and you tell your child you're important. What you have to share with us is something we give priority to. And these were the frustrations that kids taught me that they had with authority. What a great, what a great question for kids. What frustrates you about authority? What, what do you see happening over in the school, Pat? Some of well, I would say if I asked those same questions, because I did last Tuesday when he brought the hoods up in the meeting, so I went and asked the question, same answers, 12 seniors, same, 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 same concerns. Um, I think, you know, for us as leaders and as, as parents and as teachers, one of the things we have to recognize that it's okay for us to not be the expert that has every answer. Uh, I think what our kids want to know from us is that we're going to listen to them with our eyes and pay attention, but they want to know that they know that they know that we actually heard what they said. I can tell you, this is the seniors I talked with last week. They just want to know that when the, the, they share a concern that I listened as the teacher, maybe the head of the school, maybe their coach or whatever it is. I think sometimes we can kind of go through the motions and feel good about going through the motions. And our kids are super smart. Like they recognize when we really didn't listen or pay attention. So, I mean, it's okay to not be the expert, continue to, to grow and learn. At the same time, it's also okay for our kids to see that in us as well, that we don't have all the answers, but let's work together. I'm hearing you. I'm listening to you. I'm, paying, I'm, I'm giving you value because I'm paying attention to what concerns you. Glenn, talk to us about fathers now, about heading south. So you, can, you can head uh, south fast. Uh, again, th these are lessons students taught me. Uh, Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. We're supposed to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Again, I, I, I asked these students, I said, what do we do as fathers, as parents, that provoke you to anger? And it was unanimous. They said, when you're authoritarian and overly strict. Well, well then in Colossians, it, it says, don't go and discourage your children. So I asked them, well, what discourages you? And it was just the opposite. It, it sort of shocked me. They said, well, it's when parents are permissive. And I said, well, explain that to me. And they said, when you're overly permissive and don't care what I do, what you're really saying is you don't love us because you're not willing to put boundaries in. Now, they don't like the boundaries, but, but they want them. They want to feel secure. And, and when we don't set boundaries as parents, we're saying you're not important. My comfort is more important. I don't want to be disliked, so I'm not going to set boundaries for you. And, and the kids say, that is so discouraging. And, and so we've got to understand that when, when we're exercising our authority. Dr. Stewart, do you ever see a parent miss the parent role sometimes and end up being wanting to always make the children happy? Not wanting to be the one who sets the boundaries? Yes. Uh, it's actually, I would say oh, probably question. in the last, I don't know, I've been doing this for a while. The last several years, it's become more and more evident where the parents, and I've been in this role, I want my kid to like me, I want my kid to respect me, love me, and all those things. But we give our kids so many choices and so many options, and we don't take the authoritarian role that God gave us as the parent and say, guess what, you're going to do this. And then I think it's important for us to explain why. There are times when we don't have to. Safety and certain things, just do this right now and explain it later. But then a lot of times we also take that authoritarian role and say, do this and don't explain why in God's word is good to do that. Just a simple thing like modesty with our kids. I'm constantly talking to our students. Guys, there's a reason we have a dress code and it's really, we want you to be modest. 
Well, Scripture clearly speaks about that. All the way, it's not just a rule we made up just to make you uncomfortable in your clothes. No, it's a rule we made up because we, we want you to honor God by being modest and treating your body in certain ways and those things. But parents will oftentimes, not, not, nobody in this room, I know we're online, would do this, but we let our kids make decisions that they have no right to make because we want them to like us. I think that's a very dangerous place for us to get to at times. We have to recognize God's given us the authority be comfortable with that and say, this is what we're going to do because this is God's plan for your life, as opposed to what you feel like you want to do today. They will respect you for it later, I promise you. With two kids out of the house now, they, they come back later and tell you, thank you for doing those things. But. When we look at authority, uh, one little model that I came across many, many years ago that helped me understand it uh, is a little diagram where your authority as a parent or, you know, as a leader, whatever you're doing, as a teacher, uh, it's made up of four components. You have authority based on your position. Well, if you're a parent, you have parental uh, authority. Uh, when I was a teacher, I had teacher authority. When I was head of a school, I had head of a school authority. A teacher can't have head of a school authority. See, you get authority that you can exercise due to your position, but it's also impacted by your competency. When, when you first have a little child, God gives you enough authority to handle a newborn, not a teenager. So you've got to build your competency if you're going to maintain your authority. Uh, when I started coaching, the kids started doing what I told them to do, from the very first day because they wanted to be on the team but a couple days in they sort of lulled me in and tricked me into a pickup game and they kept really pushing me hard and my competitive button hit and they found out being an ex-college player I could do a lot more than they thought and I shut them down the next day I had more authority as a coach because they saw me as more competent Another one is your personality. Now, now, this isn't whether you're a golden retriever, an otter, or some other animal. This, this is simply, do you have a closed personality or an open personality? Can your children approach you, or do you have sort of like, here's the wall, you speak to my hand? You know, are you approachable? Now that doesn't mean that you have to be soft. I, I've taught some classes here at the academy. I think the students would tell you, I have some structure to my class, but I want them to be able to approach me when there's a problem. Uh, the kids in chemistry one time did poorly on a test and I said, okay, young people, what's the problem? And I'm glad there was a student who could approach me and tell the whole class, Dr. Schultz, you teach confusionally. It doesn't make sense at times. Well, I needed to hear that. Then the last one is your character. And that is your credit rating. You've got to keep a, and maintain a good credit rating with your kids. And here's how we sometimes lose that aspect of our authority. When we don't do what we say we would do. If you're constantly threatening and in Thessalonians, Thessalonians, it tells leaders, give up threatening. If that's all you're doing is threatening, you're not going to have any authority with your kids. But at the same time, if you promise something and then you don't do it 
and you realize that, you need to go to them and say, I promised this and I failed to do it. I was wrong. Would you forgive me? That will build your authority because it will build your character and credit rating. And this is a stewardship responsibility, Pastor, because you can improve your competence, personality, and character. So therefore, it's a stewardship. God expects you to take what he gives you, invest it for his profit so that you can maintain that authority all the way through their, their young lives and even when they're adults. So you can get better and better and better with God's help. That's right. Personality more open, more competent, develop more character. So you didn't start off where you are now. When y'all started having kids early on, where were you? No, when we started having kids, we, we were um, six years married and um, thought that God had a little bit of a different plan for us. But when that first daughter came home, Jacqueline came home, um, we got home and realized even though we had really good parents who trained us well, we didn't have a clue what we were doing. Uh, that was very evident and fast, I mean, in the first 30 so, seconds. So, let me so somebody who's sitting out here said, I don't have a clue. You're okay. Okay. It, uh, we'll it's sure. okay. Um, but, here, but, you, but you build those competencies up over time, mm -hmm. and you also find out who are the people that come We live 3,000 miles away from all of our family. We live, we live in Oregon, moved to Florida. We didn't have any family around us. We had some friends that we worked with. We had to find people that could partner with us and help us to take care of our kids. One of those was the church. Some of those were the preschool in the church and the schools and areas there and everything else. We, we had to figure out who can help us because we don't have a clue what we're doing. That's part of why we're here as a school, as a preschool, as a church and those kinds of things to help parents who, if you're honest, uh, you know, by child three or four or five, you kind of figure it out. But child one is, is, is a challenge. Yeah. Right. Very good. All right, Dr. Schultz, talk to us about uh, so our conduct and communication. All that makes a difference. In our yeah. When, when you're teaching a child. Uh, let's just look at another little diagram. Here you've got a child and, and you want them to learn some truth, some content, what you're going to teach them. And, and what you've got to understand, how you say it, how you teach has big influence. For example, I can go up to a little five-year-old girl who doesn't even know me and say, you know what? God loves you and so do I. Please remember that. I could also go up to her and say, don't you ever forget, God loves you and so do I. I'll get two different reactions. You know, because same content, but a different communication. But then you've got your conduct, how you live. And this sort of forms a funnel through which a child has to make sense of what you're trying to teach. And what happens is that child has to look through your conduct, through your communication to get to the content. And if your communication and conduct goes against the content, 95% of the time or greater, they will reject your content and model your conduct. You tell your child, Hey, it's important. You've got to love God and love his word, but they never see you open your Bible at home. They're not going to love God's word. You, you go and say, you know, you need to respect authority, but they watch you disrespect authority. Guess what? You want to boo the officials at the game? They're not going to go and respect authority. See, what we tell them has to be backed up by how we do it and how we live. That is so important. Philippians 4.9 is my self-evaluation verse. 
after I taught for a day or parent every once in a while, I would say, if I went and told my students, my children, everything you heard from me, everything you learned from me, everything you received from me, and everything you saw in me, if you go out and do it, the God of peace will be with you. There were some days if my children went and did what they saw in me, the God of peace wouldn't have been with them. It would have been the God of judgment. You know, and I had to go in and say, what you saw in dad yesterday was wrong. Don't do that. It brings terrible consequences. And, and you've got to correct that because we've got to understand how we do things. And our, our modeling is probably the biggest influence. I remember one of the, one of the biggest impacts I remember years ago of you having on me had to do with what we're going into now. And that is what's really influencing our kids. Yeah, sometimes I don't think we understand who is influencing our children. And I want you to watch just a little clip. And I want you to think about who are you allowing to influence your children? Let's watch. We've got to understand that there's a battle taking place for the hearts and minds of our children. There, they, there are people and situations wanting to control their thinking, want to control their lives. Uh, when you think of the average child, um, here's what you'll find. 10 school, six to seven hours a day, 1,100 to 1,200 hours a year in media consumption they're engaged in some type of media five to six hours a day it'll be somewhere between 1800 and 2100 hours per year and let me just say something here there is no such thing as neutral influence it's either going to be biblical or unbiblical god makes that clear you're either for him or against him there's no neutral ground and the mind God has created the mind where it does not discern whether something's good or evil. It takes it all in and it influences the child. Unfortunately, the average child, education is secular and the media is all secular. Then when you go and look at the church, they've done all these studies and they found that the average child attends church only 1.4 times a month 25 hours a year. And they also have found that in Christian homes, the amount of biblical instruction is usually only one hour, uh, uh, one hour a week, which is 52 hours per year. What that is saying, it is saying that what a child just absorbs through the media in four days is equivalent to all the instruction the child will get in a whole year in church and home. And, and we've got to understand, this is where you say, well, you know, we, we've got this illustration here. Let, let's sort of show them what this looks like. Uh, here you've got the child's mind. And we've got the school and we've got the media and what's going to happen each week, the school and the media is going to dump into our child's mind 
all of there and pretty much it's all secular. And then, oh, yes, they're going to go to church for an hour. And oh, yes, they'll do a little bit at home. But then at the beginning of the next week, guess what happens? Uh, secular media and education keeps dumping into their lives. And then, yes, the home is going to spend a little time with them. But, well, no, not this week. They don't go to church because they've got travel ball or they've got this or we went to the lake to have some family time. Then the next week, the media, the schooling adds more. This time, you know, got a little bit of church, but boy, we were really busy this week, so we didn't do much at home. And guess what? We wonder why our kids think the way they do. Because their minds have been just inundated with secular thinking being poured into them and poisoning them. And we've got to understand that is the influence that's going on. Uh, Stone Street and Kunkel in their book, Guide to Practical Guide to Culture, said this, who will your children trust? If their course textbook professor and teacher in the Huffington Post all say the science is settled about sexual orientation and gender identity, does that mean the Bible is wrong? If true information is merely added to the flood of secular information, the truth can't be heard by them. It's like a drop of water in the ocean or a single voice in a crowded room. Truth can be overwhelmed with lies, half-truths, propaganda, trivialities, rendering it ineffective in capturing our kids' attention, much less their allegiance. Last year, I, I did a little teaching uh, of sixth through ninth grade in history, and people asked me, what was it like teaching middle school, sixth graders? And here's what I said. I said, I was so broken to see how much the world had already gotten into the minds of sixth graders. And we've got to understand these influences. And a lot of parents will say, well, I can't help the media. I just want to make a bold statement here. Yes, you can. You're the parent. You've got to control the media. If that dumb phone is taking them into pornography and other stuff, guess what? They need to have communication with you. Give them a real smartphone, a flip phone. We, we've got to... We've got to step into our parental authority because we're letting the world take our kids captive. And it's so important that we do this, Mike. I, I remember years ago when he, Dr. Cheryl drove this point home. And I remember it being such an awakening to me because I think it was on a Wednesday night and we're doing some question and answer. And I, and I asked him this question. I said, why am I seeing so many homes where you have great people? I mean, good Christian people. And, and, uh, they raise their kids. I know they're good families. But when the kids head south, it's like they develop a whole nother belief system. And it didn't look anything like home or like the church. Look, it's a whole different. I said, what's happening? And he's, he, he laid it out. I was on a chalkboard and he talked about the influence, how many hours on Monday they spent and how many hours on Tuesday, the whole week. And he, when he finished it all up, he asked this question. So now who you think developing the beliefs and the values of your kids. It just became so obvious that right under our nose, good, good people was having the, their hearts and minds and beliefs of the kids totally skewed from the home and the church. Yeah, I, I've had a lot of pastors share with me that 
one of the biggest things they're hearing from parents now is, well, my child was really active in church and went away to college and has walked away from the faith. Why? Because they just got in, inundated with all this secular thinking. But, but guess what? That's not just higher education now. It's all the way down to preschool. Preschool are teaching kids that, guess what? You may be in a boy's body, but if, you're, if you think you're a girl, you're okay. That's preschool, folks. We've got to go and understand it. And that's where I think vision comes in. Absolutely. A vision for your kid. That's what you were talking about, a vision for your children. So talk to us about that. Well, what is it? I find that too many parents have what I call spiritual myopia, spiritual nearsightedness. Everything up close in our children's lives, what they're doing this week and next week, and maybe even next year or, or through their teen years, we have sort of a clarity of what we would like them to be and do and things like this. But once you get out there 10, 15 years, 20 years, it starts getting all blurry. Here's what I've been starting to ask parents. Where do you want your child in 10,000 years? And they just sort of sit back and I say, because wherever they are in 10,000 years, that's where they're going to be for all of eternity. And if we don't have a vision for what that looks like, we're not going to do it. What we need is we need 2020 vision when it comes to our children's future. Scripture says a lot about it. The most common one is Proverbs, where it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where parents do not have vision for their children, their children just wander around in a malaise of secular thinking. But, but then you go into Isaiah. Isaiah said, they err in vision, they stumble in judgment. It's not enough just to have a vision. You've got to have a correct vision. Because if you get a wrong vision, you're going to make wrong decisions and it's going to hurt your kids. What's the correct vision? A biblical vision. You're going to get it from God. But Lamentations tells us the law is no more. Her prophets also find no vision from the Lord. If we're not obeying God's word as parents, God's not going to show us a vision for our kids. Do you go and show your enemies your inward heart feelings? No. You only do those who love you. And that's the way God is. God's not going to show you a vision for your kids if you're not obeying him. So we've got to understand how important it is to have a vision. Now, when you first start, it's going to be blurry. But, but as you get into God's word and start seeing what the Proverbs say about raising children and what other scriptures say, then you start putting your pieces together and say, this is what I want my child to be able to do when they go out in this ungodly culture. This is what I want them to be as parents and grandparents. And then you start putting it together. But until you ask the question, what do I really want in my child? It's not going to take root. One of the parts of your, your story that I like a whole lot, Dr. Stewart, is your journey kind of into this whole thing. Talk to us about your journey. Um, when, our, when our daughter was three and our son was one, uh, we went through a program in our church that kind of made us sit down and ask some of these questions. What do we want for our kids? What do we want for our daughter? What do we want for our son? And we had to sit down as a husband and wife and, and make up, some, not make up, but write down what are the things we want. 
ultimately, we came up with four things that Dr. Schultz has been talking about a lot. I couldn't phrase it this way back then, but we wanted our kids to know God. We want them to know his word. We want them to know his works, see, see where he's working, and ultimately know his will. And I think one of the questions I hear parents ask a lot is like, how, how can I possibly know God's will for my child's life? And I can tell you there's one aspect you would never have to question. He wants your child to know God, know his word, know his works, and see what he's doing. And, and then because they know him so well, they're going to be disciples and disciple makers. Um, we, we were so intentional about this. This is probably my favorite word of the last five years is intentionality. We were so intentional about this that when they were, when she was three and he was one, we started talking about things that were important to us. I grew up in a military family. Military is super important. I love Veterans Day the other day. We celebrated here. It was awesome. But I wanted all my kids to respect the military and the, and the freedoms that we have as Americans. So we began to plan many years before they ever got to the age. There was a program we were going to send them to Orlando for some training, Washington, D.C. for some training, and ultimately to London, Oxford, and, and, and in France for some training. To this day, one of my most favorite experiences in my entire life is standing on the beaches of Normandy with my daughter and 300 kids and my son three years later and 300 kids and talking about sacrifice and then seeing the place where great sacrifice took place and then talking to them about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about intentionality. We didn't have the money to do all that. We started saving when they were four and five and six so they could do that when they were eighth grade, ninth grade, and 12th grade. It's that idea that we, we weren't perfect, we made a bunch of mistakes along the way, but we came up with a plan and we wrote it down and we tried to follow the plan the best we could. Now, if you ask my kids, do we follow the plan well, they would probably say, a little bit iffy, okay? But we, we tried and that was, that, was, that was our plan, was to intentionally follow through with what God's plan was for their life. So you carried your son on a trip as well, almost like father and son. Yeah, well, we t I had the opportunity, um, we were super blessed, to, go to I took my son on a hunting trip when he was 12. And um, one of the men that was on this particular trip was a guy named Dr. Dobson. And um, yeah, it was just super cool trip. Shot a bunch of deer. Anyway, um, sorry. Um, but at that time, he, he spoke to the, well, there was three boys. So it was three dads and our three sons who were on this hunting trip. We we're going to kind of a rite of passage growing up, becoming men kind of a thing. And Dr. Dobson one night sat down and talked to the boys for about 45 minutes and said, the exact same things we've been saying for 18, 13, and 12 years. All of a sudden, it made sense to our kids. Like, I've been, I have said that a thousand times. My point there is, it's good, it's wise to bring people along that can partner with you and say the same thing to your kids. But the, here's the point. You gotta make sure you know what they're gonna say to your kids. Does it line up with your biblical beliefs and those things? So those are things, but again, that was a trip we, we planned for three years before we went on that trip for that to happen, so. One last word about being, taking them where C.S. Lewis was. Well, uh, yeah, you're getting all my good stories. So one of the things um, that happened, I took both my kids there when we went to um, Oxford on that trip when they were juniors. Um, I took both of them, I took my daughter the first time, and we stood outside of this little place called the the Eagle and Child is actually a, a little restaurant uh, where J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis would sit and, and disciple their inklings, the, the, their disciples. And I wanted to, both of my kids, to, I always wanted to stand in the presence where I knew that C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien, two godly men, had stood and taught and discipled and, 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 and poured into their, I want to do that with my kids. So it was, it was a silly little experience, but I have a picture of both of my kids in front of that place that we look back on that. And what it does, is it triggers conversations. It triggers things. I, I have a 
deer head on a wall that, that reminds me of that trip with my son. We talk about it all the time. I have pictures of my daughter and my son in front of that place where we talk about the, why do we go on those trips? To talk about biblical things that, that were important to us as a mom and dad to pour into our kids. So it doesn't have to be a, a super expensive trip. We also took them to donuts every Saturday morning and talked about Krispy Kreme, I love it. You can see it, I love Krispy Kreme. Um, but those are the things we, we, we went to Krispy Kreme on a regular basis and, and had conversations with our kids, intentionality. You know, there, there's a lot of resources that we're gonna make available to you because I think we get to the point where we say, I, I can't do this. And, and there's resources, renewanation.org has some. Uh, there's three main books that, that are very important. And we're gonna get this out to you through social media and everything. Uh, right now, you can go and email questions at cathedralemail.com to, to get access to this Right Now Media. Uh, I have a website with a lot of things. I've got a little booklet on there on 2020 vision for our kids and, and uh, there's discount coupons and everything for that. Our, my book is out there which lays out some of those biblical principles. Uh, th there's just a lot of things. Running with the horses is one that uh, Pat used with his children because Larry Taylor took the concept of kingdom education and made a discipleship plan for his boys and he followed it distinctly. There's some other ones. Here, here's the thing. When you say I can't do this, you know, you're right. I can't even do it. Because what it takes to raise a biblical child, a human being can't do it on their own. We need God. Only God can do it. Uh, Paul, who said, everything I do is to present everyone perfect with Christ. In the next verse, look what he says. For this purpose I also labor, striving according to his power, which works mightily within me. If God's spirit is not empowering us, we cannot be biblical parents. And, and sometimes we don't understand how God wants to help us. And sometimes a picture is worth a thousand years. We're gonna watch just a little portion of a video that I want you to really think about this as you think about this whole concept of trying to biblical your parents biblically. Let's watch. There's been many a day as a dad, I've been that runner on the ground because I fell. But the encouraging part was God was always there with me. He was always there to help me. He loved me so much, he didn't just stay in the stands. He sent his son down to earth to go to the cross, die for my sins, so that I could know God intimately and personally as my Lord and Savior. And all through those parenting days, and even now with grandparents, I still have to depend on that father who loves me who's still running the race with me, who still wants me to go and depend on him. We didn't, we didn't do this service to put guilt on people. We wanna build hope. But to build hope, we have to understand where we really are. And so we tried to be honest. We tried to feed you with that knowledge and understanding that, that God wants you to have when it comes to parenting. 
And what we've got to understand is that we are going to fall. We are going to make mistakes. But, but God wants to run this race with you and with me. And if we do it, there are no guarantees to parenting. And it's never too late to start parenting. Because even when we do it right, our children still have to make their own decision what they're going to do with God. But if we join home, church, and school together in a unified whole to protect them from what this world wants to throw at them, I believe our children can go out and really find true success in their lives and actually be prepared for eternity. So I'm going to ask Pastor Mike to come and close. But take hope, folks. God came out of the sands to run our race with us, and he will be with you through this process. You know, it may just be that you're here in this service and a lot of this stuff is new to you. Maybe the first time at church, maybe online. First time you've tuned in and you're sitting here thinking, all right, now where am I with all this? My first question would be is, how are you with God? I mean, where, where are you with this whole thing of surrendering to God and saying, God, I need you to help direct my life? Where are you with admitting as a parent that you need God's help? You can't, you can't do this alone. And that you lean into in a fresh, new way. And you depend on God to help, to pray about things and give you a vision for your children. If God made your child, you know he has that vision for that child in his heart. And he'll share it with you. But the key is, is where you are. So what I want to do before we leave is if you're in this room, would you bow your head and close your eyes? And please, online, unless you're driving, <laughs> participate somehow, okay? And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ right now, I, I'm just going to ask you as, as a new parent or someone find yourself even right now in teenage years and you need some hope, but you don't know the Lord, online and in the house, I'm going to ask you, would you just pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. And I'm asking you to be my Lord and Savior. I believe you're the Son of God. And I believe you died on the cross for me. So I accept you. And I accept your help in my life, with my family, with my husband and with my wife and with my children. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you give those guys a hand? Congratulations, folks. I'm going to ask you to stand with us, if you will. Uh, when you saw those resources, we, we, we were trying our, our best to figure out the best way to help parents. You know, whether, whatever situation, how can we best serve you? How can we equip you in a way that then you can pass it on to your children. So again, first of the year, we'll talk more about some of that stuff, but those resources are just incredible. So I would encourage you to start digging in on some of those resources. Lord bless you, Lord keep you, cause his face to shine upon you. I bless you. Have a great week, everybody. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.